If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And just to make a note, because maybe you're wondering, um, we haven't changed how we're normally going to do things. Normally there would be a godly man or woman that would stand up here and read the sermon text that I'm preaching from and then pray. Last week that didn't happen because the person that was going to do that was called away on an emergency to get gas to some people in Crested Butte. And this morning, I just really wanted to read this text to you. And so I took it. I want to begin in verse 6. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified, made right by his blood, will we be saved from him, through him, from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He, Adam, is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Messiah? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus, Messiah, our Master. 
This is the glorious word of God for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful, so thankful this morning to have been chosen by you. Before time began, you decided that I would know Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see, and I thank you for that, Father. And every person here I know joins me that that loves Jesus and follows Jesus. We are so thankful this morning for you, Jesus. We are so thankful for your work. And I pray now that you would help me to glorify you and your work this morning. Father, help me to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. My best friend's name is Carl. And it's partly because of our friendship, my wife and I, Susan, our friendship with Carl and his wife, Angel, that we are here at Grace Church. I can get you their address if you feel so moved, if you are thankful that we're here. I know that's a very big presumption on my part. You could send them a thank you card. You see, Carl and Angel used to work at Noah's Ark where he served as a guide for river adventures and rock climbing adventures and multi-day hikes into the mountains with camping overnight. Why, I, why people would want to do that, I don't know. I'm very indoorsy. And when we became friends and they decided they wanted to go on vacation with us, it was about nine years ago, this valley was the first place that they wanted to take us. And this worked really well, you see, because Carl had been a guide all those years before. So he knew many of the trails and he knew many spots in the mountains to go and he understood the terrain and how the weather patterns operated, when we should leave for a hike and when we should be, try to be back home to our home base before those afternoon rains would come in. And even with all that knowledge from past experience, one of the things I love about Carl is that he would still use maps. We, we would always stay in BV at the time. That's where we stayed. And, and we'd go into the trailhead and he would buy like a current map and he would talk to the workers there and he'd get like all the latest information on like what are the really great trails and what's the information that we need to know and what shape are they in and what has the weather been like? And he would talk to the people that we would meet at BV Roastery or Eddie Line. He'd, he'd glean information from the folks that we had rented our Airbnb from Because Carl knew that even though he knew how to make his way around, it was still really smart to talk to people who actually lived there and to listen to the stories of others and to grab hold of a map to give him the big picture because he didn't know all the trails so that he could guide his friends around the valley and through the mountains and get us safely home. You know, that's a really helpful metaphor for life because we all need a guide. I don't think it really matters how experienced we are or how mature we are or how long we've been at this thing called life. I think we all know this and we 
we all feel at one time or another the need for help, for someone to show us the way, the one who has the knowledge for making their way through all the detours and challenges, the ups and the downs, who understands the shifting nature of how things are going, can grab hold of a map <laughs> and give us the big picture to help us through the valleys and, and even to walk with us when we're on the mountaintops. Someone who can take us by the hand and lead us through. You know, I sat, family, for a few hours each day this past week listening to Paul in Romans 5. And honestly, I, I wrestled. I mean, it's probably true every week, but it felt like I wrestled more this week than I have in a while. Wondering, like, Paul, what, what are you on about here? What, what do you have for me here? What do you have for us Asking our Father, what, what do you want me to say to our people, to my family at Grace Church, my brothers and my sisters? And, and it, it was here that I finally started to settle in, get, getting the sense that Paul was trying to gently take me by the hand like my friend Carl and lead me into the story to, to kind of invite me to, to step onto the map that he was speaking into existence of a larger story so that I could understand what's happening around me and I could make my way through and then, and then I can help others through, lead others along the same paths that Paul would lead me along. So that's what I'm going to try to do today with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit's help this morning See, in fact, what I, what I really want to do is I want to take your hand and I want to put it in Paul's hand. <laughs> I want to let him lead you, teach you, because it's his story given to him by God. I, I'm just going to lend my voice this morning, so just a mouthpiece this morning, I hope, for Paul by the Spirit's help. So we're focusing in this morning on Chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. The reason that I read verses 6 through 11 for us as well is that you need that context. Otherwise, it feels like you're kind of jumping right into the middle of a thought. Look at it there with me, the, the transition from verse 11 to verse 12 of chapter 5. You're going to see in most translations, you're going to see a therefore. Beginning of verse 12. And at first, this caught me off guard and felt abrupt, and I had trouble understanding the flow of thought, Paul's thought, from what had come in verses 1 to 11 to him saying, therefore, in verse 12. That's what a therefore signals to us, right? It's, it's all the things that he said before, and now he's going to draw a conclusion from that. And I wasn't seeing how 12 to 21 connected as a conclusion to 1 to 11. Could make sense of it. But when I read him in his original language in which he spoke and wrote this, the words there, not that they mean much to you, are diatuta in Greek, which means literally because of this. That started to make a little bit more sense to me other than kind of an abrupt feeling therefore. Because of this, which then I pondered for a while thinking all the way back from what he'd been saying from verse one, and I said, because of what? So then I 
decided to restate my understanding of verses 1 to 11 to help me, and hopefully this will be a help to you. Here's what I think Paul has said. I hope that you have seen the glory and fruits of being made right, that you have peace with God and access by faith into grace, and that you may rejoice in the hope of the coming glory that will be yours, even in the face of momentary suffering that you will experience along the way. And I hope that you are still pondering and meditating upon God's love poured into your heart by the Spirit, as well as proved by the giving and sending of His Son to die for you, securing your rescue in the future and your righteousness and reconciliation in the present. Because of this, I need you to understand why any of this is necessary in the first place. I've explained it a bit already in what I've said before, but now... I need to connect some dots for you by going all the way back to the very beginning so you can see why we are in this mess in the first place and what God has done and is doing and will do about it. Listen, I know you know the story, but you need to hear it again. And this story has a number of really important characters, and I want you to see the roles that they play. Characters named Adam and Jesus, otherwise known as the Messiah. Characters named sin and death, along with grace and life. It is a story of power and struggle and reigns. It is a story of kingdoms. But let me be clear, because while there are similarities between these opposing characters, there is not a balance or an equality between them. One group far outweighs the other. One group is far more powerful than the other, despite present appearances. And that is the key, dear friend, says Paul. That is the key to making your way through this journey of your life, through many dangers, toils, and snares, through many joys, victories, and glories, from the valleys to the mountaintops. For there is within this story a surprising and staggering gift of God. If you'll choose to believe that God works to save sinners. And so Paul begins, verse 12. Because of this, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Okay, quick note for you to be able to understand this story. There's a number of people that have been learning this in our Wednesday course seminars. There is four major movements in the Bible, and these are absolutely fundamental and critical for you to know. So please, I don't often ask you to write things down. Write this down. Because if you're going to understand any bit of the story, you have to make sure you understand the whole story, and you can see it in four words. Creation, fall, rescue, and new creation. It's the entire story of the Bible. Right there, creation, fall, rescue, and new creation. And Paul, the reason why I'm telling you that now is because Paul, and when you know this, you can see these said in a lot of little places in the Bible. And Paul gives us all four of these movements in this text, verses 12 to 21. He takes us back to creation and the fall. Adam isn't named directly, but actually, neither is he named directly in the original story if you read it in Genesis 1 to 3. Actually, the text just says man, Adam in Hebrew. 
And it is through this one man, made in the image of God, made in the imprint of God himself, that sin enters the world. And what is notable here is that Paul highlights not merely Adam's action, but sin's entrance. And Paul uses language that personifies sin. It is like a great, you have to, you have to picture, right? The Bible is a story and there's these characters that walk onto, the, think of it like a play. There's characters that are walking onto the stage of the story and sin is now like this great villain that steps onto the stage, making a grand entrance, Adam having opened the stage door for him. Sin with a capital S enters, verse 12, and reigns, verse 20. Later, we're going to learn from Paul that sin can be obeyed, chapter, 20, chapter 6, verse 20. Pays wages, chapter 6, verse 23. Seizes opportunity, chapter 7. Deceives, kills, and even dwells in people. Beverly Gaventa. Sin is sin, not a lowercase transgression, not even a human disposition or flaw in human nature, but an uppercase power that enslaves humankind and stands over against God. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 9. Sin rules over you. But sin isn't the only villain in this drama, for sin turns and opens the door and lets loose his sidekick, death. Sin is the villain, death is his weapon, and all people are his victims. Sin is the sum of all evil, personal and impersonal, that found a portal into the world by the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And sin thus became immediately a deadly pathogen, potent, lethal, instantly producing death in all with whom it came into contact, bringing spiritual death and then physical death and then eternal death to all people, all people. Creation and fall right here in one verse. And I think given what Paul has already said about sin and Jesus before this in what we've read and studied, I think, and what I expected him to say to complete the thought in chapter 5, verse 12 was, okay, sin and death in all people because all sinned, so then... Just like one man lets in sin and death, through another man came grace and life. Like that's what I would expect Paul to say. But that's not what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 12, though it is exactly what he says when he picks up his thought again in verse 18. Look at verse 18. It's exactly what he says. Which means, even some of your translations will put a dash or three dots at the end of verse 12. Because Paul's just like us. He can get distracted. Bunny trails pop up for him, and he decides he needs to run down that bunny trail before he can come back and complete the thought. And that's exactly what's happening at the end of verse 12. He's brought up sin, and he thinks to himself, okay, I need to run down that bunny trail of a distraction, a distraction that for Paul is going to last from verse 13 to verse 17 so that I can teach you a few things. Verse 13. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, in fact, sin was in the world before the law. But sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. In other words, it is not charged as transgression because there was nothing to transgress. We've learned that already. Verse 14. Nevertheless, even though that's true, 
There's nothing to transgress. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. So you see, sin was there exerting its power with its evil sidekick, death, because death reigned from Adam to Moses, every single human being born who then died, thus proving the point. All were sinning, which was true even though they did not sin in the likeness of Adam. In other words, Adam did transgress a law, right? Genesis 2.17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die, a law that he transgressed and died. 14, last part, Adam is a type of the coming one. Adam is a type. The thought of, of a type is of a as of a die or like a, like a stamp of this little stamping thing that's kind of like a player. So it's got my name and a little cross that says from the library of Pastor Matthew. And then I crimp the first page of my book so that when I lend it to someone, it finds its way home. Adam is like an outline, an outline of the one to come. There, in Adam, a prefiguring of the Messiah. He's a type in that he founded a family that bore his characteristics. They bore his flaw, his sin. And as we shall see, Jesus Messiah will found a family that will bear his characteristics, a renewed humanity, a better humanity from a better Adam. A humanity that would conform to his likeness. Us now being stamped in his image. Those who would bear the image of the Son, chapter 8 in Romans, verse 29. The Son who himself had been sent in the likeness, in the image of sinful flesh, chapter 8, verse 3. And yet without sin. But Paul can't go there to describe all that yet because he can't have us thinking that there's an equality between Adam and Christ. It's not that Paul is going to simply deny the similarity. He's going to deny that there is any balance between Adam and Jesus by denying a balance between what they bring. He doesn't want you thinking they're equal. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more? We're familiar with this language from verse 9 and 10, aren't we? Paul likes to talk about the how much more of God. How much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. So now we have another character coming up on the stage in this little drama, capital G, Grace. I love this character. <laughs> I love this character. It's central to who we are. What's our name? Grace Church, where we help people grow one step closer to Jesus, aspiring to a gentle environment of the good news, plus safety, plus time, the good news, wave upon wave of what? Grace. Constant immersion. What You've heard me say that language. Now you see where we get it from the Bible. This grace overflowed to many. Part of the story that Paul wants to make sure that we see 
in case we have missed it, is that this second Adam is not merely restoring what was lost in the first Adam, but he is going far beyond what was before. You see, family, what is so surprising and staggering is that in the face of the progression from sin to death, over and over again, generation after generation after generation across every culture and ethnicity of humanity in the line of Adam faced with the results of this horrific reign and the circumstances of death draped life in this dark kingdom. In the face of that, God's grace will now flourish in what seems a hopeless situation. The how much more of God's grace. Triumphant grace. The two sequences N.T. Wright says, are, in other words, all out of proportion to each other. In one case, sin bred death because that is what sin does. And in the other, the gift of grace and the gift of being made right, verse 17, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus, is nothing short of new creation. Creation not merely out of nothing, but anti-creation. Out of death itself comes life. Wow. Do you see while there is a simple a similarity, there is no balance here <laughs> between the work of Adam and his trespass and the work of Christ and his gift. And thank God for that. In Adam is the thoughtless, careless act of disobedience that hurled us all under sin's reign and death's rule, but through the purposeful, thoughtful, committed obedience of the righteous one to the Father, we are overwhelmed with a grace that washes away all of our sin and covers us in the righteousness of Jesus. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, you saying, lose all their guilty stain. All of it. We are washed as white as snow in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And the comfort and the confidence this is meant to bring is that if we can be certain of the effects of Adam's work, listen to this, if we can be certain of the effects of Adam's work on our behalf as humanity, and can we not be certain? Are we not surrounded by the devastation and the multiplication of sin? We're certain, we see it. Let the atheist try and argue against this reality. The evidence is too great. Sin has entered the world. And if that's true, how much more can we be certain of the power of the work of the Messiah? And you should yell, a lot more. <laughs> Verse 16 the gift is not, in case you hadn't heard him already, the gift is not like the one man's sin. Because from one sin came judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. So here we have a second imbalance between sin and the gift. From one sin comes judgment resulting in condemnation. Right? An end of the road. Nowhere left to go. It's over. Right there, when Adam opened the door to sin through his disobedience. But 
I love the word but. Almost always in the Bible, something good is coming. From that very spot, as trespasses multiplied faster than rabbits throughout humanity and history, from the context of trillions and trillions of trespasses arises the free gift of righteousness resulting in our being made right rescue by God alone. Nothing we could do. Which as we have already seen in Romans 5 is not an end of the road but merely a beginning of countless possibilities and fruit. This gift opening a door, opening a door to a remarkable future of the hope of the glory of God. So what did we just get from Paul, y'all? Creation, fall, rescue, and new creation. <laughs> and we're only at verse 16. Four, verse 17, if by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more? <laughs> We're getting used to that line and loving it. How much more will those who receive the overflow, those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So here's our final imbalance between our characters, Adam and Christ, sin and grace, death and life, and their respective reigns. Follow Paul's argument now in 5.17. Follow it. If death has reigned through that one's ma one man's trespass, and it has, how much more may we be certain that grace will reign? Okay, that's not what he said, right? But that's what I expected him to say. Because that's, right, we're doing these balanced things. If death reigned, then how much more will okay, grace reign? Because that's what you've been talking about, right, Paul? Seems to be assumed. The reign of death versus the reign of grace. But it's not what Paul says because it's not what is going to happen, surprisingly enough. Rather, Paul says, oh, this is okay. Another one of those moments where I just want to spontaneously combust. <laughs> this is so good. This is so exciting for us. How much more will those who receive by faith, we've already been taught by Paul, how much more will those who receive the overwhelming flood of grace, the utterly imbalanced flood of God's mercy and love bound up in God's free favor that consumes all of our sin and death in its past, how much more will those of us who receive that and the gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ, how much more will those who believe all of that in the family of God reign in life? How amazing is our future? A future to come in a new creation. And there are present effects to be sure of being made right and alive in Christ. But I think Paul has here in mind that those who have been delivered from death will one day reign in life in a new heavens and new earth. He is looking forward to a time where sin and death will be no more. Their rule and reign will come to an end in a resurrected state and creation that will envelop all of creation. A state that didn't just hit me until this morning. A state of new creation where grace will reign. Do you know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7? He says, let me tell you, 
In the coming ages, God will display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in the Messiah, Jesus. Okay, did you hear that? It is going to take an eternity for you to understand, experience, and fully know the grace of God. (laughs) You think you got grace figured out? No, you don't. I don't. It's going to take forever. That's how amazing grace is. And he's bringing, I think Paul means for us to bring that hope of the future. That is our future. I can bring that into the present. That's my truth. That's my reality. Jeez. People say that phrase. That's my truth. Rabbit trail over. Wasn't that a good rabbit trail? (laughs) Paul has good rabbit trails. (laughs) And so now he returns to his original line of thought. Hooking back up with chapter 5, verse 12 and 5.18. So by way of review... Paul has introduced us to some characters we need to make sure we keep in mind because they're going to be important, actually not just in this text, but in the rest of Romans. Sin and death, grace and life. And here's a really important thing that Paul's teaching us right here, that those are not just concepts disassociated from God. Grace isn't this thing that operates apart from Jesus. You can't just have grace without Jesus. It doesn't work that way. These Characters are connected to two very real humans who are the main characters in this drama from which flow two humanities and two peoples and two kingdoms and the main characters are Adam and Christ. They're going to figure largely in the chapters to come, but enough introduction. Let me give you a summary of chapter 5, verse 12 and then into 18. Just as sin entered in and brought sin and death to all, So then, verse 18, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And we are living this story, aren't we? We find Paul to be a good guide in this way. For we see the effects every day of Adam's choice, his transgression in a world that is suffering under the reign of sin and death, where trespasses continue to increase and sinners continue to multiply and humanity continues to feel the shame and despair and hopelessness that come from a sense of condemnation in this dark kingdom. Imagine a 20-something burned out on political antagonism and exhausted from trying to carve out a secure future through his career. Imagine a shame-filled 40-something who is searching for something more substantive, pure, and meaningful because she's weary of the anything-goes excesses of sexual liberation. This world is filled, family, filled with those who are ready for real talk about sin and death and why they are and where they're leading and if there is a chance at redemption and rescue and cleansing and hope. They are ready. Family, our town is ready for a people who is serious, who has answers, 
who carry conviction, who believe in something. They are ready for guides. Guides who have the capacity to explain the world around them and to show them a pathway out of a valley of lies to the mountain of truth, to an identity that is received rather than achieved because trying to achieve an identity has not been working for them. They are ready for a power greater than their own because they have been left feeling powerless in a cruel world. And we're meant to be that place, family. (laughs) Yes! Like, come on! Like, we're meant to be that place. I get to be here in Salida to be a guide for people who need this message that there is an overwhelming flood of grace ready to wash over you. And his name is Jesus. I want you to experience the works of a greater Adam, of the one who came, verse 14, and made the difficult choice to obey his father and suffered as a result. And because of his one righteous act of falling, of falling to the great enemy death, think about that having no sin. And because of his victorious resurrection, there is now a being made right that leads to life for everyone who believes in Jesus. Everyone can experience the surprising and staggering gift of God. And to put a final nail to it, Lest anyone think this comes from anywhere other than grace, anywhere other than dying to all of your own effort, work, initiative, and achievement, and trusting God to do it, Paul introduces a last character to our story. His name is the law. Verse 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Now, what you should hear in the backdrop of that verse is, What's in your mind? You see old black Bart coming to the end of Main Street, don't you? Darkly dressed, all the shutters getting closed on the windows, all the townspeople running into the buildings. They know something good is not here. Are you surprised at this personification of the law? It is not new to Paul. He used the same word translated came along here in, in this spot right here to describe the actions of other bad guys in Galatia who infiltrated their ranks. You see, family, the shock of the law is that it is meant not to help us in our need in the face of the power, rule, and reign of sin and death, but to clarify just how helpless we are and how desperate our situation. It is to make all the more vivid and stark our absolute hopelessness if left to ourselves. It is to get us to the end of ourselves. How? How does the law do that? Through the increase of sin, painful as it is. Through an increase of our ability to see sin. You see, here's what the law does. Do you you remember back in the day, older people will remember this. 
They had those little, the, the Kodak thing that was the circle and you put the little, like you took photos and you got them put on those little slides and you put it in that circle and it had this super bright bulb behind it and then you had like this little, it wasn't a wireless remote because who had anything wireless at that time, right? It was connected by this wire and you hit this little button and the little wheel would turn and that bright light would shine behind and the image would be thrown on the wall just like this. See, that's what the law does. The law takes a little teeny piece of your life and it puts a bright light behind it and it shines it on the wall of your mind and your soul so that you see all of the bits that are going wrong and wayward in your life. The law wasn't meant to restrain sin. The law increased our ability to see sin and the sin that is present in our lives. Now, why would God do that to us? I think God meant for the law to operate this way because he wants no room left for us to rely on our own abilities, works, or resources. None. So that we are left in ruin. And in that spot of the devastation of our sin, do you know what we're ready for? Grace. Verse 20, because where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. (laughs) That is so awesome. Right? Like, can we just use the word awesome for things that are really awesome? That's awesome. You know what Paul just did there? He made up a word. That, That isn't like an actual word. He made the word up. He was so working hard to try and find some words that would describe what grace does in the face of our multiplied sin. He decided there isn't a word good enough for this. So he smushed together a couple of other words that were meant to express a considerable excess of anything that could not be expected. (laughs) Okay, that's just fantastic, isn't it? That's how good God's grace is. In the face of the law from God increasing our sin. And had that not been the case, had God not done this, God would not be a God worth following. He would be cruel as are all other gods, family, who demand more from us in light of our deprivation and helplessness and need. Gods like money and sex and power are never satisfied. They are never gracious. They will never stop demanding more. But that is not our God. That is why what we have is good news because where sin multiplies, his grace multiplies even more. So that, verse 21, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We all need a break after that. We ought to bring the wings and the nachos and all the rest of it out now because this is our Super Bowl. That was totally not in the manuscript. This is where this is all... It's where it's all been heading for Paul. The the surprising and staggering gift of God is the triumphant and total reign of grace. It's understandable 
from where I'm getting choked up. It's understandable that in the place and in the face of one sin by me against a holy God that all judgment and condemnation would be let loose. But it is not understandable that in the face of countless transgressions, he would give me grace. That doesn't make sense. It just, it doesn't make sense. And see, intellectually, I can understand this passage. Intellectually, of course I understand it. Like I get the logic that Paul has laid out, but there's so often in my life, you guys, where I don't experience this. I don't know if you're like me. Like I struggle sometimes. Like is this really true? (laughs) If there ever was anything that was too good to be true, it's this. And that's why I need a guide. And you need a guide too. I was struggling this week. Oh, so, I was so discouraged and despairing about some things in my life that you want to know what? I don't even remember what they were this morning. This will happen. I'll, and I'll talk to Susan and she'll be like, you're so good at telling other people this. Why can't you just believe it? And I'm like, why can't you be more compassionate? (laughs) I'm not going to say that in second service because she's not here right now. (laughs) It's recorded. (laughs) Russ, let's record second service. (laughs) So I went over to BV and hiked up Midland Hill yesterday morning. And it was on the back switchback, just about at the top, that this, just meditating on this passage, that this peace just started to wash over me. And I heard him say, Matthew, it's true. And you have got to stop thinking about yourself. Stop it. It's not about you, son. It's about me. It's about me and what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, like this weight just came off again and there was this joy and I laughed out loud. <laughs> there was no one there and I just laughed. And it was just like, I, you guys, yesterday was such a great day. It was so good. And I went back down the mountain. I went to BV Roastery. I got some coffee, Cupid's Cup, white chocolate, raspberry mocha. It was just awesome. Just like praising God. Why? Because Paul guided me back to him when I had lost my way. Worship team, would you come up? Do, do, you know, do you know how we can be sure of all of this? It's through Jesus, Paul says. This, none of this is separated from Jesus. Through his death and his resurrection. You see, it's all because of Jesus. This has been and will be the constant drumbeat of Paul, our guide. Through Jesus, we have received grace. Chapter 1, verse 5. I love this. I, I, saw, I saw on Friday morning, 
this, this thread of pearls of Christ. Through Jesus, by faith, we have the righteousness of God. Chapter 3, verse 22. Through Jesus and his redemption, we are made right freely by his grace. Chapter 3, verse 24. Through Jesus, we rejoice in God because through Jesus, we have received reconciliation with God. Chapter 5, verse 11. Through Jesus, we will reign eternally in grace in a new heavens and new earth. Chapter 5, verse 21. Through Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life. Chapter 6, verse 23. Through Jesus, we are rescued from this body of death. Thanks be to God. Chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 39. Do you see, family? Have you come to the end of relying on yourself? Oh, all I have is Christ. And all I need is Christ. Christ. 